Eagles Entertainment. Anything that moves, I don't care who it is. Let's go. Give me everything you got. Play fast, play hard. Let's beat these boys tonight in their house. It's party time. It's party time. Let's go. Touchdown! You're listening to the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast. Now here's your host, Brand Duffy. That's right of the week, and it's time to dive even deeper into Eagles-Giants as the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast continues. I'm Fran Duffy, and as always, I think we've got a great show for you here on episode number 442. At the top of today's show, we've got Three and Out, where I chat with Chris McPherson to discuss the three most hot-button items at the top of his mind going into the Eagles' second playoff game in the Nick Sirianni era. What is C-Mac thinking about? We're going to find out in that segment. After that, we've got Chalk Talk, where Ben Fennell and I discuss this game from an X's nose angle through the scope of our show, Eagles Game Plan, that we continue to produce every single week here for Eagles Entertainment. What are the things you need to know based off of our film study? We will get into that in that discussion. Then, to close out the show in faux focus, we are going to welcome back Jordan Renan from ESPN, covers the Giants daily for ESPN NFL Nation. The last time we spoke with Jordan before week 14, his feelings were a little bit different about a team that now has a playoff win under its belt. We're going to get into the biggest changes with Jordan on the back end of this episode. Now, before we get there, a couple things I want to make sure we hit on. Obviously, number one, make sure you head on over to Apple Podcasts or Stitcher, Spotify. Leave us a rating. Leave us your comments. Leave us your questions. If you've got anything that you want to know about this Eagles team, leave it there. We'll answer it in an upcoming episode. Also, I want you guys to hear a little bit of a segment that we recorded on Eagles Game Plan this week. It was It's called Tape Study with Eagles defensive backs coach Denard Wilson. We talked about, uh, obviously, the back end of this Eagles defense, but also had him give us a little bit of a clinic here on cover four. It's one of the Eagles' big coverages. Uh, they play at the third highest rate in the NFL. So what did, what goes into the Eagles' quarters coverage scheme? How do they play it so well? What goes into the success? We jump into that here a little bit in this segment. Make sure you check out the entirety over on Eagles Game Plan. Coach, welcome back to the show. Thank you. We want to take a look at uh, a handful of interceptions over the course of the season, all of them coming within cover four. This one here by James Bradbury a few weeks ago against the Houston Texans. First, I guess, take us through what the basics are of cover four or quarters coverage. Okay, when you look at uh, the film here or you just talking about quarters coverage, um, everybody on the back end is responsible for a quarter of the field. So we're basically playing a... Uh, four deep, three under defense. You know, I've said this on the podcast before, and correct me if, if I'm wrong. I feel like watching big plays across the NFL uh, every single year, so many big plays get given up in quarters coverage. Yes. And I've always said, like, you almost need to major in the coverage to have all the rules set and everybody kind of working together yes. uh, on a string. The Eagles have been one of the, the top teams in terms of running cover four this year. And you see time and time again, so many times where everybody's on the same page and creating a big play. Yeah, if you're not in the same on the same page in the back end, the ball goes over your head. Yeah. And we know the ball travels further and faster in the air than it does the ground. So, you know, one thing that we pride ourselves on is eliminating explosive plays. Mm. And quarters coverage, uh, we've run it a lot. We prepare a lot. Uh, we talk about the route concept. So this, it puts us in a great position to uh, to execute our assignments. And a guy that had not really played from that depth over the course of his career was often down in the slot. How hard of a transition is that for a guy when you say, okay, you have to take this kind of angle to the football, not playing, you know, in phase uh, as a slot defender? Well, you know, the deeper you are as a, as a defender, whether it's post safety or half field safety or quarter safety, the number one thing you have to learn is how to train your eyes. If your eyes move faster than your feet, then you can put yourself in position to make plays. That means this, he's seeing the game before it happens. So it, it gives him the ability to anticipate. And as a, as a football player, if you can anticipate and don't guess, you put yourself in positions to come up with the ball or make big plays. And that's the thing is that you have to have an understanding, I guess, of, hey, if we if we are in quarters coverage, the offense knows we are likely to be in quarters coverage. These are the route concepts they're likely to run to attack us. So right. we've got to make sure we cover that ground. Exactly. That's outstanding from Josiah. Oh, what have you seen from him? Obviously, he's had to come in a couple different times this season in relief of Avante and he's come up with big plays over the course of the season. Well, you know, he's a guy that's always ready. He prepares. Um, he does an outstanding job in the meeting room. He takes outstanding notes. And when his number is called, he comes out there he tries to execute to the best of his ability. And again, for that entire segment, be sure to watch Eagles Game Plan or check out Tape Study, which will go up on Friday on PhiladelphiaEagles.com, the Eagles mobile app, and all of the social channels. That said, let's get into our discussion with the guy who's in charge of a lot of those Eagles digital channels. That's Chris McPherson. It's time now to go three and out. How about this for a start? They've got him again! What a defensive stop. Slave second pick of the game. Oh, I'm going to have to call him big play. And this defense does the job. 
one, two, three, and out. All right, time to welcome in my friend Chris McPherson to uh, go through another segment here of three and out. C-Mac, I'm anxious to see what is the number don't be one thing. Anxious. Well, don't, I'm, don't I want to see what's what's on your mind. I want to know. Okay. What, I never know what you're thinking. So I, I'm excited <laughs> to see now uh, what what's at the front of your mind as we go into a, a huge playoff game. First time since 2009, these two teams have played in the postseason. It's a, it's amazing. So I think going through. Wildcard weekend. I think this is probably the best case scenario for the Eagles. You know, ending up with the Giants. You have a team that you're obviously familiar with. You have a division rival at home in prime time. Fans are going to be absolutely juiced. And you've had the week to rest and prepare and do some self scouting while the Giants had to go on the road and get a hard fought win. So, with that being said, my number one topic going into this week, I'm going to look at the head man himself, Nick Sirianni. And going through Wildcard weekend, We'll start with the Miami at Buffalo game. Number seven Dolphins gave the Bills all they could handle with a third-string quarterback and Skylar Thompson, a rookie. But one of the issues for the Dolphins late was the inability to get the plays in, and it forced them to use some timeouts early. And then in a key situation late, they had a fourth and one. They had a delay of game, and that pretty much you know knocked them and you know, ruin any chance for a potential late game comeback. You go to the Chargers Jaguars game. Los Angeles, yep. you know, gets a 27 to nothing lead in the first half. Doug Peterson and company, the third largest comeback in playoff history to get the win there. And then Sunday night, the primetime game. Ravens-Bengals, you saw some time management issues late in the game where they had a couple timeouts, uh, the ball with a minute and a half to go, and they're milking the clock, trying to run things down. And yeah, you don't want to give Cincinnati the you know any time if you do score, but still, they had to hurry up and they were rushed at the end of the game and still ended up with a timeout in their pocket yep. when all was said and done. So these mistakes in the postseason are going to be magnified. Coach Sirianni, I felt, had the right messages all season long. The team was outstanding in terms of situational football. You go from the third highest or the highest third down conversion rate in the last 50 years for this team, the best red zone success in the last almost 30 years, I think back to 1995, and they were, for most of the year, the best team in turnover differential. Yep. We've seen this team dominate lesser opposition. This team has had late game comebacks. They've overcome adversity. There is some question about coach's pizza selection. Okay, maybe we can get, get into that. that. Yep. We can get into that there. Uh, but I think he's pushed all the right buttons this season, and he will need to continue to do so on Saturday night. Yeah, I think that <clears throat> certainly, I think when you look at both sides, I mean, these are probably the two front runners in terms of coach of the year. Uh, yeah, uh, we can do a whole thing on Dable. Yeah, no, no question. question. I think uh, another big thing with both of these guys uh, in terms of Sirianni and Dable is that both of them were willing as offensive coaches to say, you know what? I'm not going to be the play caller. I'm going to be in when you talk about the issues that Miami had and you're the you're the head coach and you're also going to call plays. Well, there can there's a lot on your plate uh, at that point. And and McDaniel talked about that late game situation where it was, you know what? Uh, I had gotten information that it was going to be for that it was going to be first down, so I'm putting a first down play call in instead of it being fourth and one. So oh. now that that lack of communication comes up where if you know if you are not the play caller and you're, you're kind of letting uh, you're making the big picture looking at everything from a top-down standpoint, those kind of things don't happen. Of course, there's there's pluses and minuses to both ends of it, right? But yeah. I, I think when you look at uh, the decision that both of these head coaches have made in terms of governing this offense and the entire operation, uh, instead of saying, I'm going to handle all of the play calling every single game, uh, every single drive, uh, I think there's a lot to be said for Governing that. the offense. I like that one. Yeah. I haven't heard that phrase before. Yeah, that's, so. uh, that one just rolled right out. <laughs> Very All right, nice. well, what do you got for uh, item number, number two? Number two, we got to go with the quarterbacks here, okay? I'm going to go with both of the quarterbacks, yeah. in fact, here. So, uh, first and foremost, we're recording this on Wednesday, January 18th. It was a month ago to the day that Hurts suffered the shoulder injury okay. in Chicago. Ladies and gentlemen, he's not on the injury report at all. Mm. No limited participation, nothing, okay, as we're recording this. So, I think within the last month, we've kind of forgotten – what the Jalen Hurts experience looks like because we really haven't seen it since then. We saw a you know a shell of himself in that Week 18 game when he came back from the injury to get the win over the Giants, but obviously the run game element wasn't you know as much involved. So we haven't had the full Jalen Hurts, and I cannot wait to see that. And I think we've forgotten just a how damn good he was this season and how much fun it was to watch on a week in and week out basis. Now going back to the first matchup with the Giants back in week 14, it was a week before the injury. Hertz was 
outstandingly efficient, throwing for 217 yards. He rushed for another 77 and had three total touchdowns. The Eagles amassed 48 points. Now, I thought it was one of his best games for pro. That yeah. Game. He was outstanding in week 14. Yeah, he did. You know, he took what the defense gave because we've talked about Wink Martindale on the show before in, in the previous matchups. Okay. He blitzed at a higher rate than any team on pass plays all season long. 48.1% of pass plays, according to Pro Football Focus. Okay, Go back to that Week 14 showdown. It was 52.6% of pass plays they blitzed on. Okay, The highest of any team in that week of the season. So now... Wink Martindale, this isn't his first go around. He's not a rookie. So you go, you think all season long, this has been his MO, his mantra, we're going to bring the house. What does he do last week in Minnesota? Just 22% of the time, they blitz on pass plays. Okay. Now you go back to that week 14 matchup. Okay. You have no Xavier McKinney at safety. You have Noah Dory Jackson at cornerback. You know, the Eagles were feasting on Nick McLeod. Uh, A.J. Brown had the monster game against him. You know Leonard Williams. Now, they may have a limited at best Aziz Ojolari. Ojolari yep. was sensational in that first matchup uh, between the Eagles and the Giants. But I think there's just more pieces for the Giants that they can stop or try to stop the likes of A.J. Brown or Devontae Smith or Dallas Goddard. It's a pick-your-poison situation. Goddard didn't play in that first matchup. But Martindale may say, I don't have to rely on the blitz. Dexter Lawrence was sensational against Minnesota. Maybe one of the most underrated performers along the interior defensive line all season long. Yep. Absolutely outstanding. You know, that showdown alone is going to be a heavyweight battle to watch. You know, but Jalen has been such an improved quarterback from every facet. We we've talked about pretty much each and every week. He's won in every way imaginable. It'll be interesting how that feeling out process is early on. Do the Giants bring the house early? Do the Eagles try to have the run game going early on yep. to see how they get Hurts uh, on track early? I mean, my gut says is that they come out, even though they're blitzing a little bit less down the stretch, I think they're going to come out and put and turn the heat up a little bit early on just to kind of test it out yeah. and just see how yeah. it goes, right? And they might get burned on it or they might have some early success. I think they'll come out early uh, and throw a couple pressures at Jalen Hurts just to see how he responds, how the offense responds, what are we willing to do from a schematic standpoint to combat that. Uh, I think that'll be very interesting to see what they try and do, where that pressure comes from. Uh, my guess is we'll see plenty of edge pressure, which that's what they did in Week 18. Uh, it was a lot of those nickel pressures. And uh, Look, I, we said this after that game uh, when Greg and I did that podcast. was uh, That was a very preseason feel on both sides of it. I, I think both teams were knew that this was well within the realm of possibility that no they would question. see each other this week. So, uh, so you know, we don't want to show too much here. Uh, the Giants had a lot less to play for than the Eagles did. So I think you, but that said, I do think that's the kind of pressure you will see from this defense. Um, and I think you'll see it early. Uh, if not often, I think you'll see it early. And I also want to look at Daniel Jones real yeah. quick before I go into my third swing here. He, I think, did his best Jalen Hurts impersonation You know, against the Minnesota Vikings. He had 78 rushing yards, a franchise playoff quarterback rushing record there. Um, two passing touchdowns, over 300 yards. Now, the Vikings defense, from every metric, you know, from classic metrics to advanced metrics, was one of the worst in football yes. this season, okay? You know, 27th in DVOA of the 12 teams that played wildcard weekend, the Giants or the Vikings defensive performance was 10th. Uh, only Seattle and Tampa Bay were worse. Now you look at how the Eagles performed on defense this season with Jonathan Gannon, sixth in DVOA, second in yards allowed, first in sacks, first in passing yards allowed, uh, you know, third in passer rating, tied for fourth in takeaways. Uh, the league leader in interceptions, C.J. Gardner-Johnson, was tied with six. He didn't play in their first matchup. You may not have Avante Maddox, but you're going to get Josh Sweat back for this matchup. I, I just think the Eagles' defense will have a lot more horses to be able to try to contain Daniel Jones, even though he was outstanding on uh, on Saturday against the uh, the Vikings. Yeah, I think that not only, to your point, the, not only is this defense much different than what they saw last week against Minnesota, but this defense is also different than the one they saw in Week 14. Uh, and the one that played in Week 14 was excellent uh, in yeah. that game. I mean, um, it could not uh, move the ball on third down. The Giants started 0 for 5 on third down. It was one of the better third down performances from this defense all season long. And a big part of that, 
was limiting what they did on early downs. You got into third and long, and I think that this offense really, really struggles uh, when they get into third and long situations, more so than the average offense. And so um, I think if you're able to start fast, and this is a really, to me, like on both sides of the ball, if the Eagles are able to start fast, you jump out to an early lead, you start fast on drives, and you, you get them behind the hole, but you get them behind the sticks, I think that's a, a very much a winning formula and a huge point of emphasis for this team on both sides of the ball going into this Can you game. imagine the crowd? How electric the crowd's yeah, going to be? No question. It's going to be already, but you add in that element to it if they can get off to a fast start. So, number three, I know we've talked a lot about they've played twice already, week 14, got into some of the numbers. I think you, in some ways you have to put those out the window. I agree. And, and, and forget those. So, I'm going to go back in time. You, you talked about you know the previous playoff matchup in that 2008 mm. season. All right, let's go back there. We thought it was kind of a run of destiny for the Eagles. They had the 44-6 to trouncing of the Cowboys, and all those things had to happen in the last week of the regular season just to get into the playoffs. The Giants were the defending Super Bowl champions. They were the one seed. The Eagles go get the upset. Well, they all of a sudden only have to beat the Arizona Cardinals to reach the Super Bowl, a Cardinals team that they routed 48-20, to I think it was, on Thanksgiving. We think back to week 14 against the Giants, it was 48 to 22. Mm. Okay. You know, but all of a sudden, you know, the Cardinals, you know, played a better game that day, the much better team, and, you know, they deservingly got the win. And of course, they were home. So the Giants are much closer to full strength than that week 14 showdown. You know, I talked about the defensive changes already, the guys that they got back in the lineup, but Saquon Barkley, he was on a pitch count, if you remember. You, that neck injury. Yeah, you know, had the neck injury. If you were watching the kickoff show delivered by Little Caesars, That's right. you would remember that Eagles insider Dave Spadell reported on the show that he said that Barkley was going to be on the pitch count yep. because they were saving him for the divisional matchup with Washington, a game that they pretty much had to have the following week. And sure enough, once the Eagles got ahead, you could tell that Barkley was not involved in the offense. So, uh, obviously, he's back to full strength, and he's playing well, and he diversifies the offense and creates some of those lanes for for Daniel Jones. Um, but the Giants, look, well-balanced against the Vikings, but this is an Eagles team that was 7-1, and one, okay? People talk about, you know, who did you beat this season? The Eagles were 7-1 and one against teams with winning records, okay? The Giants were 3-7. and seven including or excluding, I'm sorry, excluding the week 18 game where the Giants rested the stars because they didn't have as much to play for. New York came down the stretch with a two, four and one record. Mm. Okay. So it is going to be a tough matchup. And I think the Giants played their best game of the season. No question about that, but still everything is set up perfectly for the Eagles where you got the home field advantage. You got the one seat, you got the week of rest you got a chance to self-scout and realize you know, what tendencies you need to hone up on, get back to fixing the fundamentals, and have the time to be able to focus on this Giants matchup. Everything is there for the Eagles. They just got to come out now Saturday night and take care of business. And that's what, like, uh, to me, the, the extra week of rest – important from a physical standpoint, from a health standpoint, the fundamental standpoint, the guys in practice last week, it wasn't like they had the whole week off. Guys weren't going on vacations like you would see in a regular season bye week. To me, it was just as much about schematically. What, what, what can this coaching staff get out of the bye week and all the self-scouting that they were able to do uh, over that three, four, five-day stretch? Obviously, once you get into the weekend, you start looking ahead at the opponents and who's the what are the possibilities, and you have your pizza parties in the offensive <laughs> meeting room uh, and all of that. But I think that to me, like what the coaching staff did in the days leading up to that I think it's just so, so important for this team going into the postseason. I'm excited to see what wrinkles they have because the last time we saw this team coming off a bye, they went into one of their best stretches of the season. Uh, that Pittsburgh game, that Tennessee game, what they did in that uh, yeah. coming out of the bye schematically, some of the change-ups they did. And it was, you know, I remember like the, the fake screen to Zach Paschal, the different stunts they did with Hassan Reddick, all of those things. I'm excited to see stuff like that here on Saturday night. Yeah, if the Eagles don't blow out the Giants, you know, it'll be the coaches have gotten little Caesars for the pizza party. <laughs> right. That's the, uh, I'm sure that will be uh, one of the things they have to self-scout for next year yes. uh, when, they, when they get ready for those. Well, C-Mac, uh, great stuff as always. We'll be back uh, with you next week here uh, talking hopefully about an Eagles win, but we'll be breaking down right here on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast. Let's get down to business. It's time for Chalk Talk. All right, time to kick things off here with Chalk Talk now as we welcome in Ben Fennell to talk through uh, this Eagles-Giants matchup. And, and Ben, we're going to start on the Eagles' offensive side of the football, uh, talking with Mike Quick going into this week's preparation. You know, we discussed, uh, what do you want to hit on here? And he said, you know what? 
Miles Sanders just had such a great game against the Giants in Week 14. It was a record-setting day for him. Uh, he became the first Eagles running back since LaShawn McCoy to have double-digit touchdowns in a season. He eclipsed 1,000 yards for the first time. He had uh, a career high in rushing up to that point, 144 yards. He had that 40-yard touchdown. He had a couple touchdowns on the day. So uh, Miles Sanders, obviously a huge impact on that game, both with and without the football. You had a couple of those big blocks in that game as well. Yeah, stylistically, heavy personnel, a lot of multi-tight end sets from the Eagles, and really daring the Giants to be somebody they're not. They want to be a sub-package team, particularly dime and dollar personnel, and the Eagles beefed up, and it was kind of a conflicting style uh, of personnel there. The Eagles went very heavy, a lot of gap scheme runs, a lot of power, a lot of counter. It really forced the Giants to be a defensive personnel they didn't want to be. Mm. So I expect to see that kind of cat and mouse once again. Eagles love running the ball, love beefing up. But that's going to come at the expense of maybe having two or three receivers out there on given sets. So you're going to lose some speed in those sets. But it's going to force those Giants to play a little heavier. And they've proven they don't always want to. Right. That's the thing. We saw, what was it, 20-plus snaps again from them this week against Minnesota, where they played seven DBs on the field. Now, Minnesota, one of the worst and least efficient running running games in the NFL this year. The Eagles, not the, not yeah. that. The so, Vikings, uh, what was it, five second-half runs in right. a close game. They got very one-dimensional. And I think Kirk Cousins just being under fire snap after snap, that's a product of being one-dimensional. Mm. You're going to get fired on in the NFL if you're just a pass, pass, pass team when you don't need to be. That was a close game for a while. thought the Vikings should have went back to the run there. So we, we've seen a lot with the Eagles. You mentioned it there on that in that game in Week 14. It was a ton of counter, counter-read, QB counter-read, uh, going back to last year against that defense. Uh, you know, it was a lot of the same. It was a lot of the, uh, you know, you see Jordan Mailata on, on mm-hmm. poles you know, coming across and uh, leading the way. Why do you think they they lean into more of those gap schemes uh, against this defense? Do you think it's trying to stay away from uh, you know Leonard Williams, Dexter Lawrence on the interior? Hey, those some of those gap scheme runs start inside, but they're meant to bust outside. Uh, what are your thoughts there on uh, why they lean more into those gap? Yeah, scheme it could runs? be a lot of philosophies. A lot of those gap scheme runs feature some double teams at the point and some vicious down blocks, and the Giants' propensity to maybe play some lighter bodies at three tech. Uh, you know, maybe can be an advantageous uh, skill set. Uh, for the uh, you know for the Eagles offensive line, but there's a lot of different reasons from different fronts to attack, from the personnel they want to attack, um, and I think we've seen a variety. It's not that the zone run game has been completely abandoned, um, but we just see the uptick more in those gap scheme runs. I think a lot of it is front based, and I think once you get into those heavier personnel groups, the Giants will then try to beef up the front, go at some odd you know front looks, some bare front looks, and. Those are some schemes you want to run powers and counters against. I don't want to bury the lead here because I think obviously a big topic going into this game on this side of the ball. Jalen Hurts, obviously, you know, coming off the injury, you know, what is he from a health standpoint going up against this Giants defense that is going to put pressure on him, right? It's going to put some heat on him from a pressure standpoint and from a blitz standpoint, but then also how much they've evolved from a coverage standpoint. I guess wait, what's your take uh, on what we've seen in the differences from a cover on the coverage end of things? So much less man coverage, much more split safety zone. Uh, what are your thoughts on that just in this, uh, you know, the last four, five, six weeks? Yeah, down the last stretch of the season, obviously a big philosophical change of the Giants, less blitzing, less man coverage, a lot more uptick in zone coverage, cover three, cover four, you know, schemes like that. I think it's matchup dependent. Interesting. And when you look at some of those teams, you see Indianapolis there with a, you know, Nick Foles, Matt Ryan, Sam Ellinger, balls coming out really quick type of scheme, two games against Washington in there as well. So I think it's a little bit of who they were playing. Um, And again, you know, I, you know, I don't know if either of us have the answer to that, I love seeing defenses ebb and flow, and I think when a Wink Martindale type of defensive coordinator, which is a clear cut, you know what you're getting, pressure, heavy man coverage, sub package, to see a guy like that all of a sudden change his identity in December, I think everybody kind of perked up and said, whoa, whoa, whoa wait a minute, what's going on here? Did Wink lose his identity uh, over the Christmas break or something like that? But I love just seeing the different philosophical approaches to throw at opponents on a week-to-week basis. And I guess that kind of ups the ante as well for Jalen Hurts and his overall execution against this defense, right? Because, you know, week 14, Jalen Hurts goes out there. You got a pretty good sense. It's man coverage. You're, you know, it's a 50-50 bet that they're going to be sending pressure. Now, when you go up, if this is what their model has been over the last month, you kind of have to check yourself uh, pre pre and post snap, and that will kind of change things for Jalen going into this matchup. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I love when teams change their identities and it just gives opponents more and more things to prepare for. And if you were a 93% man coverage team with, you know, sending five or more rushers on third down, all of a sudden 
but over the last month, you're not. Yep. Teams love to study their opponents in a four-game vacuum and a four-game package. Well, if you study the Giants' last four games, you're going to get a much different opponent than maybe the first month or two of the season. Yeah, I think that's what really kind of uh, changes things a little bit. Because even when we talked about this matchup in Week 18, we were making jokes about, oh, well, you know, they're going to play man coverage if me and you were playing corner. But that because coming off that, that was a one or two week blip where you can very easily say, oh, well, you know, that's that's just the way that they played against Minnesota. And that kind of throws those numbers off. But now that we're, you know, four or five games into this stretch and this is the way they've consistently played, uh, it really kind of opens your eyes and gives you. Yeah, this is a pretty substantial sample size that you have to go off of. Let's go over to the the other side now, though. Um, Eagles defense going up against this Giants offense. And a big th- part of this is going to be about stopping Daniel Jones. He had one of the best games of his career this past week against Minnesota, not just as a runner, but as a thrower as well. Extremely efficient, created some big plays uh, in both facets of his game. And it's going to be a big test here for the Eagles. Yeah, I thought he really picked apart that uh, underneath Viking zone coverage. Some really good throws into some tight windows, some curl lane throws, some middle of the field throws, some great little stick routes and sit routes from Bellinger and uh, Darius Slayton. I know we all kind of look at his pass chart on a weekly basis, and it's a lot of underneath throws. Those are difficult, too. Those are high-level throws. Those are accurate. Balls out on time with rhythm. You're just not seeing a lot of those balls down the field, and they're not stretching a lot of defenses. And, you know, it's interesting that battle on Sunday because the Vikings were giving up tons of plays over their head and were beaten down the field repeatedly this year. The Giants said... We're not going to attack you there. We're going to do what we do, and it ended up working. Yeah, I think that's the big thing, and too, is that you know, as we were watching the film, it was, uh, it's not like even they they did a good job of adjusting Minnesota to what Daniel Jones was doing with his legs. So many different escape routes for him, uh, and they did not really do a good job of containing him in the pocket. And I think that's something the Eagles did so so well back in Week 14. I think you looked the stat up earlier today, right? It was uh, two scrambles for eight yards. It was yeah. one of the worst days on the ground for Daniel Jones all season long. And I think that that's uh, something that we'll need to carry over into this one. Don't let him get some confidence and don't give up some of those cheap first downs uh, where he's able to break the pocket, break contain, and move the chains on. Vikings really didn't spy him, but I feel like they just play such a high level of zone coverage that they just felt like eyeballs were going to be on him regardless. But even so, he burned him. Yeah, the the, the mush rushes weren't there. Nothing to to contain him. He was able to step up and out uh, over and over again against that defensive front. Uh, Daniel Jones, uh, as a thrower as well, um, just extremely efficient. And it was one of the better performances we've seen from him overall. Uh, We've gone through the play action numbers. We talked about it earlier this week with Greg. But what have been your thoughts just kind of watching his evolution? I know uh, you guys with your CBS crew, you did two other Giants games, right? Uh, Three, actually. three, three, Three total games. All right. So uh, we've seen plenty of Daniel Jones live. I watched a ton of him on film this year. Uh, What are your thoughts just on where he is at in this stage of his development? Well, I like that he kind of recalibrated his game this year and started to fall back and lean on, accentuate, whether it was him personally or a combination of him and the, the new coaching staff, what he does well. And that's play ball control, use your size, use your athleticism, use your mobility, both in and out of structure. And if you are a little gun shy with throwing downfield, whether that's your personal choice or, you know, it's no secret the jack, the lack of kind of weapons uh, at his disposal on the outside. I don't think their receiver room has gone as planned uh, just to be a little tongue in cheek. And I think you all know what I'm talking about with some of the people and situations there, injuries and performance X, Y and Z. But I think he's just more comfortable with who he is. I think Brian Dable is getting more out of him that he feels comfortable. And I know a lot of this is reminiscent and looks like the Josh Allen offense from Buffalo. A lot of the quarterback runs, a lot of the freedom to scramble, except the downfield, you know, rocket launcher arm that, you know, Josh Allen has with Stefan Diggs and all those weapons. But I just love that Daniel Jones is playing his style of football and it's winning football. He may not be winning a lot of games in the fourth quarter, despite all a lot of those one score games. He's not losing them either. Right. And I think he's just playing very safe, very efficient. I mean, the plus seven turnover margin on third down, best in the NFL. Plus three turnover margin in the red zone, best in the NFL. He doesn't make a lot of wow throws. He doesn't put the ball in harm's way either. And that has value. Yeah, I think the one thing that you and I were talking about as we were watching the Giants film as well is the the usage of those receivers, right? And you mentioned it's not they're not the most household names. Darius Slayton, Richie James, Isaiah Hodgins, and all three of them are making plays within the structure of this pass game. But what I really like is that they have made it much more of a horizontal passing attack where, you know, that speed from Darius Slayton, you know, the Eagles have seen Darius Slayton a lot over the last few years. He's in a contract year. He's year four into the league. But early on, it was all goes, posts, and sluggos from Darius Slayton. That's what you worried about with him. That's what was the large majority of his targets. But 
We're not seeing that in this version of this offense. Now it's all shallow crosses and deep crosses and it's off play action. And now all of a sudden, if you're a man corner or if you're in zone cover three or quarters, you're on the backside hip trying to trail him, uh, you know, going across the field. That's, he's a tough cover from that standpoint. And they love him on those crossing routes. And again, you look at Hodgins, the way they use him. They look at Richie James, the way they use him. They're finding different niches for all of these players and just putting them in position to create big plays for this offense. Yeah, and speed can be used horizontally. And a lot of those crossing routes come off play action, come off misdirection. They're a big jet motion team as well. A lot of that jet motion actually coming from a variety of different people, from receivers to Matt Breida and those pony packages. Like the Saquon 28-yard touchdown, jet motion, misdirection. You know, the uh, Darius Slayton, I think, had the biggest gain or maybe Hodgins on an over route off play action was a jet sweep to start it. So I love the misdirection in combination with those crossing routes and the play action. Their run and play action percentage, nearly 64%. That's the fifth highest in the NFL. They have an identity, and I love that that's what they lean on. They're going to run, 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 try to move Daniel Jones by design and try to get some misdirection worked into it. Not always going to be shot plays and down the field, you know, attacking, and that's okay. A big area where the Eagles can take advantage, and they did in Week 14. Some of those matchups along the line of scrimmage, right? So, uh, you know, working against Evan Neal, who has had his struggles here as a rookie first-round pick at right tackle, Hassan Reddick, Brandon Graham, both gave him fits. Uh, that's an area where the Eagles can certainly take advantage here on Saturday. Night. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, I think the struggles of Evan Neal is also worth noting the development of Andrew Thomas on the other side, right? Who's been one of the bright spot developmental players. Uh, or developments in the NFL this year and his resurgence as a left tackle and uh, protecting the blind side. It's been some ups and downs on the interior. Nick Gates, I think, started on Sunday. Ben Bredesen rotated in, finished yeah. the game, I yep. believe. Uh, Glowinski's been a nice piece at right guard there. Feliciano, they pull a ton. He's really fun in the run game. But obviously, I think they've had their struggles in pass protection, and they know this. But they're not afraid to go six, even seven-man pass pro when they have to go drop back. Yep. Third and five, third and six. You're probably going to see Daniel Bellinger in the backfield. You're going to see, you know, Matt Breida hanging out in the backfield or Saquon hanging there to keep Daniel Jones upright, to keep him alive longer into the down, which has been part of the formula this year for Daniel Jones, surviving longer into the down, whether that's extra pass pro, whether that's his, you know, uh, decisiveness and escaping and seeing those outlets. I think Daniel Jones staying upright, not being under fire quickly in the pocket, um, you know, it's been a, a bright spot for the Giants this year. It's cliche, but I, I do feel really strong about it in this matchup against this team. With if you if you're going to paint the picture for how the Giants can win, it's about staying on schedule offensively and get into the third and shorts, third and manageables. If the Eagles are able to prevent them from doing that, force a lot of third and longs, where yeah, they have to keep Barkley in, they have to keep uh, Bellinger in, and now it's three receivers. You're taking play action out of it. Now all of a sudden, you feel really good about winning in those individual reps. And yeah, let's talk about something for a second because I just tweeted out an interesting stat: Daniel Jones only ten downfield completions on right. the season. Wow. Very, very low, very low wow. percentage of downfield pass attempts. I mean, Josh Allen had five Last on week. Saturday <laughs> alone against the Dolphins. So just funny to see that. So I've gotten some comments back saying, oh, well, you know, the ball's going to come out quick and underneath press coverage, press coverage, press coverage. There's different strokes for different folks, and there's different philosophies in defending short underneath throws. Some defensive coordinators want you to play off what's called squatting on underneath throws. So you're giving that receiver space off the line of scrimmage with the anticipation the ball is going to come out and you're not doing nothing but driving forward you're with attacking it how you say your cleats are already in the ground yep. ready to break on passes. So despite the ball coming out relatively quickly and almost often underneath, that doesn't necessarily mean press coverage is the only way to take that away. Mm. Yeah, well, and I think it goes too to the one stat we were talking through as we were watching film on, on Monday was, you know, you were looking at Daniel Jones's numbers and how, uh, man, look, he's just playing. We we're just talking about the, the overall level of play and the efficiency. And you're looking at it and you're like, man, but this has actually been his longest average time to throw over the course of his entire career, even though the average depth of target is lower than it's ever been. So they're yeah. not attacking downfield, but Jones is holding on to the ball longer. And a lot of that is that they've got a lot of these uh, long developing plays, a lot of the play action boots yeah, where it's a like, yeah, like he, it. yeah, yeah, he's rolling <laughs> out to his right. He's rolling out to his left. Those are longer developing. We're still not pushing it down the field. Yeah, It's a combination of things, the longer developing concepts and the point I just made of him surviving longer yeah, into the right. down, yep. getting through reads a little bit more because of the extra protection or his willingness to just escape with a little bit more veracity and a little bit more emphasis. There's a lot of different reasons for it. I think his numbers and development over year over year have been really interesting to look at. Um, 
and he's really high in some spots and really low in some spots, and it's okay. It's just fun to dive into. Bunch of stats uh, we've gone through. Is there one that stands out most to you? Well, we mentioned a little Matt Breida in there, and oftentimes Matt Breida is going to be on the field with Saquon Barkley. That's called pony personnel when you have two tailbacks, not just a two-back set. I mean, Kyle Juszczyk and uh, Christian McCaffrey out there is a two-back set. But Great 30 for one of the original 30 for 30s, uh, the Pony Express, no SMU, question. Uh, yeah. talking about the two-back sets, and that's but where that comes Pony from. Pony is two tailbacks on the field at the same time. The Giants ran 15 snaps of that against the Vikings, season high for them. Yep. And they generated nearly eight yards per play on those, seven first downs on those 15 snaps, mm. including that 28-yard touchdown to Saquon Barkley, including, I think, a nearly 20-yard gain to Darius Slayton, an 18-yard gain to Isaiah Hodgins. Big short yardage gain as well. A lot of interesting concepts with that pony group. They kind of went away from it in the middle of the season. Go back to that Packers game. A lot of big plays. Mm -hmm. Saquon, he took a 60-yard run on a wildcat, unbalanced tackle overplay where they just ran power to the weak side. They pulled the center. Burrito was a lead blocker. A lot of fun concepts with those two back sets. And don't forget, they'll motion Saquon out and just use him as a receiver. Yep. Sometimes Breed is in the backfield serving as a pass protector. So I think it also allows Saquon to get used in some creative ways. I'm gonna. I'm glad you brought this up. I'm going to ask Jordan about it in the, in the next segment. Uh, I am fascinated to see how much they carry that over because they had so much success with it uh, this past week against Minnesota. Um, for me, one guy we actually haven't mentioned yet, and we have to, is Dexter Lawrence. No, no and question. The, the, yeah. the stat that I saw it was on, it was coming out of Sunday. So it was either Sunday night the Next Gen Stats put it out or, or first thing Monday morning. Um, Lawrence has generated 20 nine pressures as a zero technique this season the second place player is Raekwon Davis with eight that is wild that is a wild just to show how impactful he has been lined up as a tight nose tackle and how forceful he's been I know uh, you did it you had a stat as well where it was like uh, he's the only player in the league with you know x amount of uh, run stops with like what was a 60 pressures he has just been such a force this year and that performance this past week against Minnesota uh, a great example of the way he can impact the game I'm just wondering if there any other true a gap dweller so someone that's really hanging out on either side of the center that's as dominant and quick as Dexter Lawrence. Now, there's some really good nose tackles around the league. Yeah. But as far as having the first step, the flexibility, the pass rush plan, and being a good run defender, I mean, I know we all think about our own Hargrave. Hargrave gets slid out to three tech quite often as well. Pain is the same thing. Same, time same thing with the Kenny, yeah. uh, Kenny Clark in yeah. Green Bay. Yep. I mean, Dexter Lawrence spends a lot of time around that center, and it's really impressive. I'm trying to think if there's anybody like it. You know, we all love our Vita Vea. A little bit of a different style player as well. You know, Jeffrey Simmons, a little different style player, um, but he's really productive and he's really quick and he dominated that first half like I haven't seen a defensive trench player do in a long time. And that's the thing is that when when you line up in those pressure looks, it's not just about, oh, look at how they got Nick McLeod free. Look at how they got, uh, you know, uh, Darnay Holmes free off the edge. <laughs> it's now you're dictating one-on-ones. You've got seven guys up on the line of scrimmage. Well, now... Yeah, you can't double-team Dexter Lawrence. You can't double-team Aziz Ojolari. Like, you have one-on-ones across the board, and now that allows uh, you to isolate Lawrence on an offensive lineman that you like uh, inside. And that's going to be a big test the test here for this Eagles offensive front. Yeah, don't let him ruin the game. And, you know, I want to see them healthy, and, you know, you want to beat teams when they're at their best. That's how I look at this. I hope Aziz Ojolari is ready to play. I love their front four when they can get Ojolari, Kayvon Thibodeau, and then work Leonard Williams and Dexter, uh, Dexter Lawrence in there. That's a really good front four. So that could also be a reason as Aziz has maybe gotten a little healthier. You have a four that can get home like that. You don't need to send all the dogs. You don't need to live in cover zero as we kind of, you know, often talk about Wink's scheme and a lot of the pressure concepts. So yeah, as they get healthier on the front, you might see some less blitzing. Well, Ben, be sure to check out uh, everything Ben's putting out over uh, on Twitter at Ben Fennel underscore NFL. And we'll be back together uh, for the Journey to the Draft podcast later this week, wherever podcasts can be found. What's this matchup look like from the other side? It's time to find out in Faux Focus. Well, joining us once again here for Faux Focus on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast, Jordan Renan. He's been on the show many times before from ESPN, NFL Nation reporter covering the New York Giants. You can follow him on Twitter at Jordan Renan. Jordan, welcome back to the show, man. It's a much different conversation with these two teams than it was when we spoke just a month and a half ago. Yeah, for sure. That first meeting, the Giants were in bad shape, remember, and kind of talked about all the mismatches that were there, and we saw that. Uh, week 18, we saw a different Giants team, right, that basically didn't play, and now an even different version, a third version, 
which is a way better version, I think, than the one you saw six weeks ago when the Eagles smacked, uh, smacked them around and putting up 48 points. Yeah, and that's the thing. And that's what makes it so interesting, right? So many people have talked about, oh, it's tough to beat the same team three times and all that. Honestly, like I view this matchup as much different than certainly week 18, but even going back to week 14 with how much the Giants have changed, both from a personnel standpoint and even schematically and philosophically on both sides of the football. And we'll get into a little bit of that here in this discussion, but we'll start things off the way we always do. We're going to start on the offensive side. Put on your Mike Kafka hat. You're the offensive okay. coordinator here for the Giants. What is your biggest strength for this team going into this game on that side of the ball? What gives you the most confidence if you're Kafka going in this game with the ability to win win it? Yeah, I think for me, when I, you know, the more I sit there and you're breaking down, okay, you know, Isaiah Hodges and Darius Slayton, they're playing fine and, you know, they're maximizing those guys. Then when I think, okay, they got to go now against Darius Slay and uh, James Bradbury every play, those aren't matchups that, if I'm from the Giants' perspective, I'm looking at, oh, that's what I want to exploit. When I look at this and I say, I'm Mike Kafka, you know what I need to do in this game? I need to get Saquon Barkley. I need a ton of Saquon Barkley. If we're sitting there and we're talking about the Eagles' defense, how do you slow down their pass rush? You run the football. If you're talking about maybe the weak, one weakness of the Eagles' defense, it's stopping the run a little bit. So if I'm the Giants, I'm looking at it and saying, okay, how can we use and maximize Saquon Barkley's talents here against this Eagles team, get him into open space and do damage, really slow down the game a little bit. Because if they want to, you know, go back and forth and speed up the game, they're not going to beat the Eagles. They're just not talented enough overall. So I think if I'm Mike Kafka, I'm saying, all right, I need a Saquon Barkley and a lot of Saquon Barkley in this game. You know, one thing we saw in the, the last week's win over Minnesota, a bunch of those pony sets with uh, with Matt Breida out in the field. Do you think that yep. was kind of a, a flash in the pan, or is that something that you think they could try and carry over considering the success they had with that package against the Vikings? Yeah, I think you're going to see even different packages, uh, you know, different different versions of that. Maybe Gary Brightwell getting into the mix in some way, shape, or form. These are things we saw snippets of this season from the Giants. They didn't use it consistently, uh, but they're very game plan specific team so I don't I don't think they're just going to come out again and run you know super heavy on that but uh, I I will say I would imagine we're going to see two or three packages that we really probably haven't seen much of at all this year uh, you know maybe I don't I don't know who that entails but because uh, it's not like there's I, I was thinking Kenny Golly for a second in my head but I'm like nah you know what I, don't, <laughs> I think that that ship has sailed although he did make that catch over Darius Slay I don't think that's a, uh, the route the Giants want to go here, at least consistently. But I would expect them to do some things that are unique and innovative. Look, Mike Kafka comes from the uh, Andy Reid tree. And uh, Brian Dable, we know, is, is a very bright offensive mind. So I think if you're the Eagles, you should basically be expecting everything. And, and that included in that is uh, different sets with uh, – with uh, Matt Breda and potentially different ways for them to run the ball with Daniel Jones as well. You know, we had Greg Cosell on earlier this week just talking about the what he feels like on film has become uh, more faith from Brian Dable in Daniel Jones. Is that mm-hmm. kind of how you see it as well over these last few weeks? Well, if you go look at Saquon Barkley's carries, right, uh, I think it was seven of the first nine he had 20 or more carries, right? I think he has 20 or more carries twice since then so they're clearly going more and they're relying more on the passing game they've settled in on their receivers i think that's a big part of it it's sort of settled down a little bit they they, they know they can at least do some have some success in that fashion so and and quite frankly daniel jones has been their best player for the second half of the season not saquon barkley so i do think they can go that route i'm not sure still if that's the route you want to go against the Eagles, because the Eagles do have those cornerbacks, which against the Giants wide receivers, I just I can't imagine anyone sitting down and being like, those are the matchups you want to go after, right? It's just that's not that's not going maximizing your strengths in this matchup if you're the Giants. All right, well, let's go over to the other side of the football and talk through Wink Martindale. You'll put on your Wink Martindale hat. Your biggest strength here on defense going into this game, a much different unit than what the Eagles saw in week 14. Yeah, well, you've got Dory Jackson back at cornerback. He's their top cornerback. Uh, did an excellent job last week against Justin Jefferson. You have Xavier McKinney, who missed most of the second half of the season, including that first matchup with the Eagles because of an ATV accident. So 
that's half their secondary back, okay? And they can do different things. And, and this is what Xavier McKinney told me the other day, is when the two of them are on the field, the defense is now able to do different things because Xavier McKinney has a pretty unique skill set, right? He he's a he could be an excellent deep high you know single high safety kind of guy and, and cover a lot of ground, and he could also come into the box when they need him and make plays. So like last week in the second half, they made an adjustment. They took him, they put him more in the box so that he could go and face uh, and they could slow down T.J. Hawkinson. Like those are the kinds of things you can do when he's playing, and and. The defensive front, Dexter Lawrence is playing at an all-pro level. Level, uh, he is going to be a problem. That is what maybe the key matchup in the game: Dexter Lawrence versus Jason Kelsey. If they can neutralize Dexter Lawrence, you gotta love the Eagles' chances. Uh, but him, Kayvon Thibodeau, Leonard Williams, and we'll see how much Zizo Jolari ends up doing. But he should be able to probably play in some way, shape, or form. That's the defensive front for the Giants that can do some damage. So you have to worry about them to some degree uh, in this game. And, you know, it's going to come down to can they make enough big plays defensively because they're not going to be able to consistently stop the Eagles. Eagles ran for 200-plus yards in that first matchup. Running at the edges has been a problem. in this. You know, the Giants' defense was 27th against the run this season. 27th. So, uh, and I think, remember, week 18, Fran, we saw an Eagles team that didn't even resemble the Eagles team that, that you guys saw most of this year, in my opinion, because without that running aspect, that designed run aspect from Jalen Hurts, I mean, the Eagles are a totally different team. Uh, you know, they were throwing the ball down the field a ton in that game. He was almost like basically a drop-back quarterback, and that's not who Jalen Hurts is. That's not who the Eagles are. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see if the Giants can slow down that and Wick Martindale can slow down that running game because, you know, he's a big blitz, blitz, blitz guy. He sort of held it back last week against Minnesota a little bit in a, in a, rare, a rare display. But, uh, you know, we might see that again because the, the goal here has to be stopping the run almost before it is getting after the quarterback. So let me ask you about that that transformation. Obviously, we've talked about it here in this episode of the show. We talked about it earlier this week with Greg and just how much less man coverage they've played over the last month and change, uh, how much more zone coverage. Do you feel like that has been a byproduct of opponent? Like, hey, we played Minnesota twice, uh, and they, that was a game, game plan-specific kind of uh, plan of attack going up against Justin Jefferson in that past game? Or do you feel like it's uh, the return of Xavier McKinney and getting a Dory Jackson back, and now this is the way we really want to play when we're not going to just play man? Basically, how do you expect them to play here on Saturday night? Do you think it'll be going back to that early template, or do you feel like this is what we can expect now from this Giants defense? I think you'll probably see a good mix of both. I think they've seen they can have success that way. Uh, but at the same time, Wink Martindale wants to blitz. He wants to play man. He wants to, you know, pressure breaks pipes is what they say. You know, that's his mm. expression. He loves to say that. Pressure breaks pipes, and uh, he's never going to not be aggressive. He views himself as an aggressive coach. He views this as an aggressive defense. So I think that's what he wants to do. I think some of that was matchup. They know they can't match up one-on-one with Justin Jefferson. I mean, who can, right? I mean, right. The, the dude the dude is off the charts good. Uh, so I think part of it was that. Part of it was that Adoree Jackson hadn't played. So they knew that their secondary, their cornerbacks in particular, they, they weren't going to be able to hold up if they played a ton of man-to-man. So I think they're going to get more back more to the man-to-man, but I also don't think they're going to exclusively go that direction. They're still going to mix in a lot of zone because they've seen that they can have some success with it. And then last question for you, just uh, your Brian Dable. What's your biggest concern going into this game? This could be on either side of the football. My biggest concern is the interior of the Eagles defensive line just wrecking the game. Specifically, Mm. um, I'm going to say that right guard spot, right guard, right tackle for the Giants. You got uh, Mark Lewinsky and Evan Neal, they've been a, a liability at times this year. And you're looking at Fletcher Cox basically lines up over the right guard most of the time, right? I believe that's what the Giants yep. offensive line told me, that he's almost exclusively there over Mark Lewinsky. Uh, and then Evan Neal has struggled in pass protection. I mean, there's really no way around it. He has struggled and struggled badly. He had the lowest pass block win rate of any tackle last week against Minnesota uh, in the wild card round. So. Uh, he's like 56 out of 62 uh, offensive tackles this year in pass block win rate. So you can win against him. So whoever the Eagles rotate in there at that spot, those are the two spots. 
you know, that those are going to be the matchups to watch. And if, if the Giants can at least, uh, I'm not even going to say win. They just want to have like a stalemate over there and they'll take that. That's a huge win for them. But if the Eagles dominate there, it could create a bunch of negative plays that could be, you know, could alter the game and shift it in, the, in Philadelphia's direction. So to me, those are the matchups that I'm watching the most. Uh, yeah, you mentioned a couple of those. You mentioned Dexter Lawrence going up against Kelsey in that interior three for the Eagles. Are there any other like pivotal one-on-ones that you're going to have your eye on here on Saturday night? Yeah, I mean, Adoree Jackson is going to see a lot of A.J. Brown probably. Yeah. So well, let's see how that goes. I mean, two guys from Tennessee, they know each other pretty well. That's a good point. So that, that, that'll be interesting. Uh, I mean, it's, again, that's I don't love that matchup from the Giants, but at least Adoree Jackson gives them a better chance than anyone else they had previously. So uh, And also, I, I if you're the Eagles, you got to look at this and say, okay, I'm going to use Dallas Goddard in the big way here in this game because you can exploit the Giants' uh, inside linebackers big time. I mean, you might see a bunch of Jared Davis. Uh, he was just signed a few weeks ago off the Lions practice squad. You're pro- I mean, Jalen Smith starts. Those are You are able to beat those guys in coverage on play action pretty consistently. So there's going to be some opportunities for Dallas Goddard to be a huge factor in this game. Well, Jordan, just outstanding analysis. Once again, everybody go out and follow Jordan on Twitter at Jordan Renan. Uh, His work, obviously, uh, you know, uh, over at ESPN. Jordan, thanks so much for joining us here once again on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast, and we'll talk to you again soon. All right, friend. I don't think we're getting a fourth shot, but uh, three, three, third times is a charm maybe, but we'll see. That's right. Great stuff there from Jordan. Now let's transition to our final block of the show where we're going to get into some extra analysis from our Eagles game plan crew. We've got some great stuff here from John Clark, Ike Reese, Mike Quick, and Greg Cosell that, due to time constraints, could not squeeze into the show, but I kept it all right here for you off the cutting room floor. Here's our Eagles game plan extra. They cannot be one-dimensional. The problem with Minnesota versus the Giants, Minnesota became one-dimensional. If the Eagles run the football effectively, that passing game is going to work well right off of the run. Yeah, particularly in that second half. You talk about Minnesota really playing just a one-dimensional game. It really hurt them last week. When you go back to that first game, though, against the Giants with the Eagles, the Eagles threw the ball early in that game to yes. get the lead. I remember the touchdown to Devontae and A.J. Brown trying to set that score up. That's what got them out to that 21 to nothing lead. And then you put your foot on their throat in the second half. When they decide to take that safety out of the box and then they want to help a little more on the pass, you got a light box. That's when this offensive line gets downhill. The running backs get downhill. Almost 200 yards rushing in that second half in that first game against the New York Giants. Set up the run by throwing early, get the lead, and then we run the victory. This Giants defense is looking a lot different over the last month than they did in that Week 14 game. Wink Martindale has made some real conceptual changes in how he wants to play. If we go back to what the Giants were leading up to Week 14, here was their profile. It was man-to-man coverage. It was high-percentage blitz. That was the Wink Martindale template. It's not been like that, essentially, since that game against the Eagles. What we see a lot more now, more zone coverage concepts, less blitz pressure. This is a different-looking defense. But now, having said that, you still have to be prepared for the front looks that Wink Martindale gives you. You can't assume that there will not be pressure because he will still line up with six and seven men on the defensive front. And you have to account for them. You can't make the assumption, oh, they're not coming. And one other thing here that's really important, they have seven defensive backs on the field. They did that 21 times last week. They did it 22 times against the Eagles week 14. All right, so the Giants have changed up some stuff. They were the highest blitzing team in the NFL, maybe a little less now, but they still had problems with that blitz in the last regular season game. What does Jalen Hurts in his return here, healthy hopefully, need to look out for? I think there are a lot of man zone indicators that he'll get pre-snapped so that he kind of knows, kind of knows what to expect. But once the ball is snapped, he has to make sure, he has to validate what he saw pre-snap and make sure that he's getting this team into the right place, taking the ball into the right spots because you don't want to turn the football over to this football team. You've seen, we know what turnovers will do in a football game and we don't want to have that. He's got to make sure if it's a motion and he gets a man indicator because of the motion, he's got to be sure post snap that it's truly man. 
Yeah, and he's done a great job at doing that. The other thing you're going to have to recognize is personnel groupings, yes. right? So when you see a defense out there with a certain personnel package, look for certain sub-blitzes out of those packages. The Giants may not be as blitzing as much as they were the first time they played the Giants, but Wink Martindale still loves to heat up the quarterback, try to speed up your thought process. So Jalen is certainly going to have to be aware when the sub-packages are out there. You're usually going to get safeties that are coming in to blitz, and this is where he's going to be able to use his leg. Right. We're not talking about the Jalen Hurts that we saw in the final game of the season where he was a little limited. You know, we're a couple weeks removed from that. I expect him to be able to be the Jalen Hurts that we've seen all year long, which is a threat with his arm as well as his legs. And when they send those blisses, look for him to escape and either extend plays to throw the ball or take off. And, you know, Jalen probably will not be 100 percent in this playoff game and maybe for the rest of the playoffs with his sprained shoulder. But how effective do you think he will be, guys? I think he'll be effective because there's nothing wrong with his legs. He has that ability still to move around, to make plays with his legs, and he's playing so well above the neck. We talked about that in the last couple of shows. But now his ability to really stress the defense with his potential of running the football, that's a big factor that they have to be concerned about. So you have to allocate resources to that. You have to make sure that there are guys on the backside when Jalen's running these option-type plays to make sure that he doesn't beat them for a big run. And this is his first home playoff game at the link. And obviously yeah. last year it didn't go so well, his first playoff appearance against Tom Brady and the Bucs. Yeah. How motivated do you think Jalen Hurts is here at home in Philly? I'm sure he's as motivated just like his teammates are. You know, that last year, that game, to get that taste out of their mouth, the first experience, is something that you can sort of hang your hat on to remember you don't ever want to feel like that again. And listen, that was playing in Tampa on the road. Even though we travel well as a fan base, it's nothing like it's going to be when the link at 8 o'clock, when they get ready to kick that ball off. Not only Jalen, but all these players that are playing in a playoff game in this uniform, in this city, in that stadium, it's a different feeling. They're all going to be vibing off the energy of our Eagles fans. Like, they're not satisfied. <laughs> That's the beautiful thing about this team. You talk about Jalen, and and Jay, when Jalen speaks it, it kind of permeates throughout the locker room. They're not satisfied with their performance. They're not satisfied with where they are. I'm looking forward to this game at the link. Jalen said he will not smile <laughs> until they finish the job. He is serious. We're smile for him. I'll smile. <laughs> Daniel Jones has proven now to the National Football League that it takes a group effort when he decides to run the football. Because if you're rushing, you've got to make sure that the rush lanes are full, but you've also got to have people that are at that second level making sure that he doesn't escape, he doesn't get out. The Eagles do a really good job because they use different personnel. You'll see Kazir White as a guy that's in the hole, just kind of spying. C.J. Gardner-Johnson, he can do some of that. So it takes everybody. And you have to make sure because right now, Daniel Jones, if he sees that it's man coverage, that backs are turned to him and there's green grass, he's going to take off and run. So everybody has to be on the same page. And where do you like to throw the ball off play action when you get those stacked linebackers to step up or hesitate? You like to throw the ball in the middle of the field, crossing routes. That's where Daniel Jones throws the ball exceptionally well. And last week we saw on the first possession, they came right out. Again, they didn't have to establish the run. The run's already established with Saquon Barkley. They go play action. They have reduced splits on the outside because what they're going to run is a post-cross combination. They're going to get Darius Slayton, as I said, a reduced split. He'll run the crosser. And what do you get with reduced splits more often than not? You get a corner, whether it's man or zone, here it happens to be man, but you get a corner playing with width and depth because of that reduced split. So you see the play action. You see Jones secure in the pocket. He can stand and see the field, and he hits Slayton on the crossing route with room to run after the catch for an explosive 20-plus yard play. This is where the Giants have really developed over the last month. They work the short to intermediate areas of the field really, really well. This is Jones' strength as a thrower. He's tall in the pocket. He's firm in the pocket. He's an over-the-top thrower. You don't see that very much. But this is a definite change in the way the Giants play since the week 14 matchup with the Eagles and this is something that the Eagles defense will have to be very very aware of as they now play the Giants in this divisional playoff round 
and you can't get outside your gap. Because here's the other thing Saquon can do, probably better than any other running back, the jump cut where he likes to go oh, back door. He gets If he gets a feel that the defense is fast-flowing, he'll go out the back door against you. So the Eagles have to be assignment perfect so that everybody's doing their job. Yeah, you get a big guy like that in space, and he's a problem. And that's what they try to do with him. They try to get him to the second level. They try and get him off tackle and get him into space because then he's a problem. He, along with Matt Breda, it's a real strong tandem of running backs and they do different things with them. Sometimes they're on the field together in their pony sets and the things that they like to do with in their two back set. And last week they had nearly eight yards per play with them both on the field. So it's a real challenge when they both are on the field, but they really want to run the football with Saquon and work the play action passing off of their run game. And we saw Minnesota, obviously, they gave up a lot of points to the Giants. They weren't really effective at rushing the passer. The Eagles got seven sacks on Daniel Jones at MetLife. Saquon Barkley, if you can kind of slow him up, then you earn the right to what? Rush the passer. I was just going to say, you got to win on first and second down against this football team. The Giants, they want to nickel and dime you to death, right? They just... Three yards here, three yards there, get to a third and three, keep it manageable. But if you're winning on first down, then this defense can pin their ears back. They don't want to throw the ball in third and long situations. And so because the Eagles are one of the few teams that blitzes a ton, the Eagles are able to play coverage and get after you with this front four. So that's where the Giants got in trouble that first game. They got down early in the game, and they couldn't win on first and second down, keeping the third downs manageable. And how did that happen? They the stopped the run. The addition of Linval Joseph yes. and Namakung Sue, you get the, you bring that extra beef in there, so everybody comes in now and they're fresh. They're able to stop them on, on those early downs, and as you say, they earned the right to rush the pass. They brought those guys in for the playoff run. Yeah. Be sure to check out Eagles Game Plan. It goes up digitally this week on Thursday across all Eagles channels. Or if you live in the Philadelphia area, special time this week with a Saturday game, Saturday at noon on NBC10 here in Philadelphia. Great stuff there from the Eagles Game Plan crew. Thanks to them and thanks to all of you out there as well for your support here of this show and all the rest of our podcasts with Eagles Entertainment. That said, I think that'll do it. Another show in the books here on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast. For everybody here at the Novacare Complex, I am Fran Duffy. We will talk to you next week.